You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Sorry to interrupt your conversations, but it's what I do at this point every Sunday. So if you could come and grab a seat. It's nice to have so many people join us on a rainy Sunday. Uh, Love uh, starting our week off this way. It's probably no surprise to you, but I uh, enjoy Sunday mornings. It probably comes with my job description, but uh, I really enjoy Sundays. I enjoy starting our week off, worshiping God, uh, being reminded of who He is and what He's done. Getting to respond to him in praise and prayer. I just love that. But I also love Sundays for what happens right after this. And I'm actually not talking about football, but yes, football. And I'm excited about that. But right after this service, uh, we kind of hang out for a little while longer. And then we tear down all of this stuff because this isn't our permanent place. So we put away the chairs and the tables and all of our stuff. And I actually really enjoy that. But the reason that I enjoy that isn't because I like doing any of those things. I actually don't like doing any of those things. Uh, But my daughter loves doing those things. And she loves helping me do those things. So I've got a five-year-old daughter named Della. And like at the end of service, if you've stuck around long enough, you've seen it. She runs in here. She runs up to me. And then she says, how can I help? And we start carrying tables together or putting up signs together or, you know, putting up the chairs together. And she's just beaming. And she just loves that because she loves helping me. And she sees it as her, her way to help me do my job, right? To help me do my work. Like she's getting to help me do what I do. And she is just like, takes so much pride in that. And as she's excited about it, that makes me enjoy it. And I love that time with her. And it's this sweet time of like partnership together, if you will, or working together with my daughter. It's, it's pretty awesome. I just love that. I love that time with her. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series we've been in, uh, Who Are We? It's what we've called it. And we're kind of talking about who we are as a church family. But here's what we're going to see is that... God, our Father, in a very similar way, just really, really, really enjoys when we join him in doing his work, when we join him in the family business, when we come alongside of him in a partnership with him to do what he is doing, which is, if you were to sum it up, restoring and reconciling this world to himself. That he loves it when we join him in that. And so as a church family, when we ask this question, who are we? We answer it this way. Hopefully you've heard this so many weeks in a row now, two weeks in a row, now three weeks in a row, you're getting to where this is stuck in your head. But this is it. We are a, we're a family loved and served by God and compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. We are a family, as we've seen the last few weeks, we're a family not because we want to be a family, we consider ourselves a family, or we're aiming to treat each other like family. No, we are a family. It's our identity. Not because of what we've done, but because of who God is and what he's done. In fact, I, we should bring this up each week. I want to you know, kind of get this ingrained in our thinking, but when it comes to our gospel identity, there's these three questions that kind of help us understand who we are. The first three is this, who is God? What has he done? And then who are we as a result? That's how we receive our identity from God in Christ. That's how a Christian knows who they are 
Not based on what we do for God that makes us into something, but what God has done for us that makes us someone. And so we've seen that because God is love, he's loved and served us, and now we are his beloved children. We've seen that the last two weeks out of, built out of 1 John chapter 4, that who he is, what he's done, has made us who we are. So we, as a, again, as a church, we say, okay, we're, we're a family, loved and served by God. We're a family because we've been loved and served by God. And as a result, then what do we do? We, we love and serve each other. Again, 1 John 4, we saw that last week. And what do we do as a result? Well, we love and serve Austin with God. Really, you could say beyond that, you would love and serve the whole world with God. But since we're in Austin, then we say Austin because this is where God has us for now. But we, we're not against any other part of the world. I mean, Austin is the best city in the world, let's be honest. But, you know, we're for the rest of the world. But because he has us here, our church, we say, man, we're about loving and serving each other and Austin with God because here's the thing. Being in his family, him as our father, we as his beloved children, we are invited to join him in the family business. That we get to partner with him and what he's doing in this world, imploring people to be reconciled to him. So, we say we're about loving and serving Austin with him. Now, let me, let's talk a little bit about what, what does that actually mean? Like, what's it mean to love and serve Austin? What's, what's that look like? Well, certainly it looks like meeting physical and emotional needs. It looks like tangible service, sacrificial service. It means helping people. It means being a good neighbor. It means being a good citizen. It means being a great employee or employer. I mean, you just go on and on and on. It looks like helping, serving people. We call that, to use our kind of vernacular as a church, we call that demonstrating the gospel. What we mean by that is demonstrating God's unconditional love and service and grace that God has shown us. We show that to others in how we interact with people and all people. Not just certain peoples, but because all people matter to God. We treat all people that way and in that we're showing them what God is like. We're showing them the grace, the love, the unconditional service of displayed in the gospel. So that's one way we love and serve our city, but it can't stop there. It's no less than that, but it's also definitely has to be more than that because it's not just that we would serve people, but we would tell people how God has loved and served them. And so we say, okay, we're about demonstrating God's love and service that is displayed in the gospel of how we treat people, but we're also about declaring it, like audibly telling people about how God has loved and served them so that they would know how to be reconciled to God. And when we try to serve our city, it's those two things. We want to serve them tangibly, and we want to audibly speak to them and tell them how God has served them through Jesus so that they can be reconciled to God. That's how we're trying to love and serve our city with him. But here's the thing. I know that that last part is really intimidating and fear-inducing for most of us. 
Like many people would say, hey, I'm all for the demonstrating part. I'm all for just like, let me serve people. I'll do that. You tell me what to do. I mean, I'm there. I'll sign up for that. I'll, I'll give that away. I'll give some of my money away. I'll give my time away. But just please don't make me open my mouth and tell them about how God has done that for them as well. I just, I just don't, you know, just please don't make me share the good news of what God has done for us. I just thought that's where it gets intimidating. It's so, so much fear and all that. Friends, I want you all to know, I get that. And I'm, you know, I don't know how you view me, the pastor of a church, whatever, and like I'm supposed to be, you know, super like godly and all that. I, I mean, I've got so much work to do. <laughs> Ask my wife. I am, I'm far from perfect. And when it comes to this area of sharing the gospel with people, it's hard. Like, I find it hard. This week, I was going to my neighbor's house on Thursday, um, first night of, you know, NFL. And so we got a bunch of guys from the neighborhood coming to get in together to watch the game. And, um, you know, every time I'm interacting with my neighbors, trying to hang out with them, I want them to know that God loves them by how I treat them. And then I want to be, have opportunities to tell them about it. And so all day, I knew that I was going to hang out with my neighbors that night. And I've been praying that God would give me an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus and what Jesus, how Jesus loves them. Um, but then as I leave my house to go walk literally across the street to my neighbor's backyard where we're going to be watching the game, I'm, I have this thought. Man, I, I really want to be able to tell my neighbors about Jesus. I really, want to, I really would love to talk to my neighbors about Jesus today. And then right after that thought, I have this thought. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, literally, it was just right away. I want to do this. No, I don't. And then I thought, and then I just like had this argument with myself as I'm crossing Sinclair. I'm just walking around like, no, I do. I, I, want, I, want, I want them to know that Jesus loves them. I want to tell them about that. No, I really don't. I just want to watch football. That's what I want to do. I want to talk about anything other than that. That's what I want to do. No, no I want to talk to them about Jesus. No, I don't. And I'm just like in my head, back and forth, back and forth. Because <laughs> I get it. I get it. I feel the tension. When it comes to loving and serving our city with God, if that means that we're actually going to open our mouth and tell them how God has loved and served them, that's hard. Thankfully, my neighbor actually, one of my neighbors actually asked me, hey, how's the church doing? And I thought, okay, that's an open, that's an open road. Like, I, I can't not talk about Jesus if you're going to ask me about the church. But even then, I was like, how do I do this? I don't know if I'm going to do this. Please like me still. You know, all that stuff. <laughs> Here's what, I, here's what I want to show us today, and I really hope that God will convince you of this morning. It's this, that the, the, the very thing that we're supposed to share with people, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the very thing that we're supposed to share is also the very thing that will compel us to share it. And if you want to share the gospel with people You've got to begin by sharing it with yourself. If you want to be freed from the fear, you want to be freed from all the things that can keep your mouth shut, you've got to first fully believe what you're trying to tell others personally. Put it this way, believing the good news frees us to share the good news. Now, let me tell you why I say that. If you will, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 14 through 21. We were at the family gathering yesterday. You heard Pete 
share from this same passage. He's still in my thunder. I didn't tell him that I was going to teach that from this this Sunday. So he went for it, which is awesome. It's a key passage for the life of our church. And so it's good that we're hearing it twice because, man, this is awesome. So if you will, go there, uh, pull up your Bible app or pull up your Bible. If you want a Bible, we've got free ones out on the table. We'd love for you to grab one of those. But as you go there, before I read it, let me give you a little context, specifically in regards to who wrote this. Because oh, it's really interesting when you, when you read it through the lens of who was writing it. For the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. And the Apostle Paul, you, you, sh- you probably know this, but he was a historical figure. No one doubts that. He was a historical figure. But what's really interesting when it comes to the Apostle Paul is the first time we're ever introduced to him in Scripture, he was persecuting the church. In fact, the very first time we're ever introduced to the Apostle Paul, he isn't the Apostle Paul. In fact, his name is Saul at that time. And he, just a few weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection, is overseeing the stoning of the very first Christian martyr. Saul, or Paul, he hated the church. And he hated Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not a fan of the church or you're not a fan of Jesus, you might be a fan of Paul because that's how he was feeling, right? And so you might be, it's worth like reading his story found in Acts 9. It's amazing because like his life changes. And you think, well, what changes his life? Well, Jesus shows up in person to personally pursue him and recruit him to, to, to enter a relationship with Jesus and to be used by Jesus and what Jesus is doing in the world. And it's, it's life-changing. And you read about it, and Paul goes from being anti-Jesus to being a raging fan of Jesus to the point that he is committed to seeing the gospel go out to the entire Gentile world. So you think, man, what is behind that kind of radical change? Well, in light of that, we read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And starting in verse 14, in the first five words, he tells you, he gives you insight to what what changed with him. Here's what he writes. For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. He would say, for Christ's love compels me. And what changed me? He doesn't say, (laughs) you know, uh, 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 for my guilt compels me. He doesn't say, no, my fear, if I don't do this, what God will do to me, that's what compels me. He doesn't say that. He says, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's Christ's love that compels me. Now, what's interesting is that in this phrase, uh, there's a little Greek thing kind of going on. I won't try to get real technical with you. But just to say that it, it's unclear whether he's referring to his love for Christ that compels him or whether it's Christ's love for him that compels him. And commentators, they go different directions on that. It's, it's, it's rather unclear. I think that Paul, here's my hot take, I, <laughs> I, I think that Paul is, is, is purposely unclear because it's both of those things, that they, they work together. It's Christ's love that compels him to love Christ, and together that compels him to, to go, as you'll see in this passage, to tell people about Jesus. To go from being anti-Jesus to being a raging fan of Jesus and wanting everyone to know Jesus. It's Christ's love for him that compels his love for Christ that then compels together to go tell other people about Jesus. And so he says, it's Christ's love that compels me. And then he goes on. He says, Christ's love compels us for, because we are convinced. We're convinced. And I'll tell you, friends, it, it took some convincing for Paul. 
all right? He was, remember, he wasn't neutral on this. He was anti on this. He was anti-Jesus, but then he became convinced. And here's what he became convinced of. He says, we're convinced because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. Which is really just a fancy way to say that uh, Jesus died in our place. That Jesus died in our place. Now, other places in Scripture, Romans 6, other places, Paul gets very theological on this point. But here, he just keeps going. He says, this is what we're convinced of, that, that, that Jesus, that, that one died for all, therefore all died. Or Jesus died in, all, in, in our place. And then he says, and he died for all, that those who live, meaning those who have placed their faith in Christ and now are, are, have eternal life in him, like those who have come to know Jesus, those who live, hear this, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He's saying that as a result of what Christ has done, I am now moved to no longer live for myself. You see that? Like, guys, do you understand that if you know if you're a Christian, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, you see that He died for you. Do you recognize that He didn't just die to save you from something? Like He didn't die just to save you from the penalty of your sin, or just to die to keep you from condemnation. Though He did, and that's true, but it, He also saved you for something that you would have life, that those who really live, like you would really have life, abundant life in him, and so that you would no longer live for yourself, but live for him who died and was raised again for you. You see, what Paul is saying is like when you get it, when you get what Jesus has done for you, there's this like aha moment where you're like, oh man, that's incredible. Like, why would I ever live for myself any longer? I, I could because God's love for me is not dependent on me living for him. Remember, he loved me first. This was what he did for me first. But because he's done this for me, why would I choose to live for myself any longer? No, this is amazing. He, God, lived and died for me. I'm going to choose to live and die for him in response that I've been saved for something. And so when it comes to the idea of loving and serving our city with God, we say, okay, yeah, sacrificial service, you know, unconditionally loving people who maybe don't deserve it or aren't easy to love or going out of my way to serve people like God has done, like done for me. Like, I don't, you know, that's uncomfortable. But you know what? I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living for him who lived, died, and rose again for me. I think the idea of opening up my mouth and actually talking to people about how God has loved them, what Jesus has done for them, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. But you know what? I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for the one who died and rose for me. Friends, do you see what Paul is saying here about how it's Christ's love that compels him? It's Christ's love that compels him to no longer live for himself, to live for others, to join God in getting the good news of the gospel out. Friends, does that ring true for you? 
Is that, is that your experience? Does Christ's love for you compel you to share and to show Christ's love to others? Does Christ's love for you compel you to share Christ's love with others? If you think about this last week, if you think about this last month, if you think about this last quarter, is Christ's love for you compelling you to share Christ's love with others? As the more you believe it, the more it will. In fact, I want to just show you that from this passage. If we skip down to verse 18, look what happens. Like, I <laughs> love this. Like, Paul gets caught up in this very thing. He's writing, he's writing to Christians. Everyone, like, no one debates that. Like, he's writing to the church in Corinth, filled with Christians. And yet, look what he does. He starts reflecting on the gospel, and he just gets carried away. Let me read it, starting in verse 18. He says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He's thinking about the gospel. He's being compelled by the gospel. He keeps going. He says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And then he just like, keeps going. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And most of the audience that's reading this, this letter from Paul is saying, we know that, Paul. We're like, remember, we're, we're in. We're, we believe that. That's why we're in, in this church in Corinth. That's why you're, you're writing this. But, but Paul's like, no, 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 no. I just get so carried away. The more I reflect on the gospel, what God has done, the love that he's shown me, how he served me, I can't help but just tell people about this, just to call people to believe this. I mean, maybe just there's one non-Christian, non-follower of Jesus, someone who's on the fence that, that, that's in the room that's going to be reading this. Paul says, I, want to, I need to implore that person to believe this. See, reflecting on the love of Christ moved him to share the love of Christ. Has, has that happened in, in your life? In order for that to happen in your life, you've got to be able to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You've got to be able to reflect on how God has loved and served you personally. In order for you to be moved to share it with others, you've got to be able to share it with yourself. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to share and reflect on what God has done for you? Do you know what the gospel is? In this passage, verse 18, Paul gives us an awesome summary statement of what the gospel is. He says it this way. What's the gospel? It's this, that, to quote verse 18, that God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. That God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. Now let's think about that for a second. I think we know what, what this idea, this word, recon, you know, what it means to be reconciled. I think we know what that means. But Paul uses it five times, that word or variation of it, five times in three verses. Like, it's a, it's a big deal. And so let's just you know, take a second. Just what, what, what's, what is this? Well, Paul, Paul is saying that the reason that we needed to be reconciled to God is because we were not reconciled to God. That we had, if you will, irreconcilable differences with God. 
that we were not compatible with God. That to, to reconcile means to take two things that are not compatible and, and make them compatible. It's to take two things that are not in agreement and to bring them in agreement. And what reason we needed to be reconciled is because we were not in agreement with God. We were, we were not compatible with God. That God is perfect. And we have sin. Sin literally means that we've fallen short, that we, we've missed the mark of perfection. That God is holy, and we are unholy. And it's like this, it's like God is fire, <laughs> and we're paper, and we don't mesh well. We had irreconcilable differences. But here, here, here's where things get amazing. It's that God, he wanted to reconcile with you. And he knew that you, and he knew that I, couldn't make that happen. That he knew that I, and he knew that you didn't know how to make that happen, and we lacked the ability to make that happen, even if we knew how to do it. And so here's what God did. He took it upon himself. He took the initiative to bring about reconciliation. That God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. See, though we were the ones who had done wrong, he took the initiative to fix the problem. We go, all right, God, how did you do that? Well, verse 19 tells us, very next verse. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. You see, the problem, the thing that made you and I have irreconcilable differences between us and God is our sin. And so God says, well, I want you, I want, I, I want us to be like this, not like this. And in order to do that, i got to do something about your sin. So we say, all right, God, well, what are you going to do about our sin? He says, I'm going to have to do so. I'm going to have to not count your sins against you. Instead, I'm going to have to count them against someone else. And so in verse 21, Paul pins these words. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the Father sends the Son. God the Son, Jesus, comes voluntarily. He comes willingly, and he lives the perfect life that we were supposed to live. But then he goes to the cross to die the death that we deserve to die the, and paying for our sins. And then he rises again. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he makes the way. It's God's taking the initiative to make the way for us to be reconciled to God. And so, this is how God has loved and served us. That he's made the way for us to be reconciled to him in Christ. Now, can I ask you a question? If, you, if you've never believed that, why would you resist that? Why would you resist that? I mean, that is such good news. That God loves you so much that even when we had strayed, he pursued us even though we couldn't, make, we couldn't reconcile with him. He took the initiative to reconcile with us through Christ. Like, this is incredible. Why would you resist that? Now, 
I understand that if the reason you would resist that is because you, you, you're not convinced that that's true. If that's where you are, then I, mean, I get that, and I would, I would commend you in that, to say that at least you're wrestling with the right thing, okay? And it's like, if the, you know, I need to know if this is true, because if it's true, then this is the greatest news ever, but I'm not going to just you know, blindly believe it. So I need, I need to know, is it true? And if that's where you are, then I would encourage you to continue exploring if it's true. And one of the things I love about Christianity is that when you boil Christianity down to its very essence, here's the thing, it's not advice. It's not simply advice on the good way to live. That Christianity, when you boil it down to its very essence, is news. I keep talking about the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. And it's news because it's, it, based, it boils down to a historic event that happened. The essence of Christianity is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb. And if you aren't sure if this is true or not, the good news is that with Christianity, you can actually investigate it just like you can with any other historical event. You can see, did it happen or not? And I would encourage you and implore you, investigate that. In fact, I've got a couple books up here. Um, that I would want to give to you for free if, you, if you'd be willing to read it. Uh, the Reason for God by Tim Keller and The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. I've got a, a box of these books up here. So if you want to, after, you know, at the end of the service, come and get one. Um, you know, come quick because I, I don't I have a box, but it's a small box. So I have a lot of these books. But I'd love for you to come and get it and, and, and just read that and to investigate. Because, friends, if this is true, this is the greatest news ever. That God didn't count our sins against us. But instead, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made a way for us to be reconciled to himself through Christ. It's incredible. Do you know that well enough to preach that to yourself? Like Paul did, who was compelled by God's love to say, like, I'm compelled because Paul knew he was a murderer of Christians. He was a persecutor of the church, and so he got it. I don't deserve this love. And yet, look how I've been loved. Now I'm compelled by Christ's love to go and tell others about Jesus. Because do you recognize, I don't deserve how I've been loved by God. And yet, I've been loved by God beyond my wildest dreams. And now I'm compelled by God to tell others that good news, that they too have been loved by God beyond their wildest dreams. And we get to do that with him, according to this passage. With him. Not simply for him, but literally with him. Like if you go back to verse 19, he says this. The end of verse 19, the statement is, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, what does that mean? Well, it it means that God is now announcing the good news through us. Through us. That the way that God is getting the greatest news in the world to the world is through us. In fact, verse 20 says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Now notice this statement. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That is an identity statement, is it not? Who are you? I am Christ's ambassadors, Christ's ambassador. That if you go back to the whole thing that we've been talking about in this series, you say, okay, well, let's understand. Who is God? Well, God is the reconciler. 
What has he done? Well, God has sent his son so that through him we can be reconciled to God. Now, who are we as a result if we respond to that in faith? Well, we are the children of God, the beloved children of God, as we've been saying. We are those who have been reconciled to God. And according to this, we are Christ's ambassadors. Not based on what we do. You're not an ambassador if you're telling people about Jesus. You are an ambassador, regardless of what you've done, solely based on who God is and what he has done for you. The question is, are you living in line with who you are? You're an ambassador. You're either a good one or a bad one, but you are one, right? Because it's not based on what you've done. So now, who are you? That's why we say, okay, we've been loved and served by God, so we're compelled to love and serve. Austin with God is part of who we are because we've been loved and served by God. What's an ambassador? Let me give you an easy definition. An ambassador is someone who has been given the authority and power to represent someone else by all they say and do. So the U.S. sends ambassadors all over the world. They've got the power of the, of the U.S. behind them to represent the United States and all they say and do. You are Christ's ambassador sent to your street, sent to your office space, sent to your dorm, sent to your class, sent to wherever you are to represent God in all that you say and do. So that you could show them God's love by how you treat people. And you can tell them how God has loved them by what you say. Are you living in line of who you are? Two practical elements to this that I just you know, encourage you with. One, for Christians, if you're a follower in Christ, what this means is that, you know, I don't want to be too harsh here, but one of the things I often hear people say is, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, and so I don't need to tell people about Jesus. And friends, what I'd like to say, I wouldn't say this, but what I would like to say is, <laughs> well, I don't have the gift of mercy, and so therefore I don't feel bad telling you that that's a terrible excuse not to share the gospel with people. <laughs> I would never say that. I, I wouldn't say that. See, the gift of evangelism can help you do that, but that, like, we don't share the gospel because we have a certain gifting. We, have a, we share the gospel with people because of who, of, we have a, a specific identity given to us by God. This is who we are, all of us. So God's wanting to make his appeal through you for people to be reconciled to God. The other thing that I would say is if you're not a follower of Christ, you're on the fence, you don't know if you really believe that Jesus died for you, rose again, that you're reconciled to God through him. One of the things that I often hear people say there in that, that group is, well, I just can't believe this unless God comes and t- says it to me. Like God has to tell me that he's real and that, he, that, that Jesus really did like live and die and rise again. And friends, according to this passage, what I would say to you is, he has. And according to this passage, God is saying, this is the way I tell people. This is my means. 
I'm using my voice. What's my voice look like? It looks like my ambassadors. It looks like the people I've reconciled to myself. I am making my appeal through them for you to be reconciled to God. I am coming to you. This is how I'm doing it. And so if you've had anyone tell you that God loves you, Jesus died for you and rose again, that is the voice of God through them imploring you to be reconciled to him. He loves you. He's placed people in your life so that if you reach out for them, not, he's not far from you. And he can tell you. He loves you and what he's done for you. He wants you to be reconciled to him so much that he's put that friend in your life. He's put that neighbor next to you. He's given you that roommate. Let me sum it all up by saying this. The love of Christ transforms us and compels us to partner with God in his work of reconciled people to himself. Friends, this is what we do as Christians because this is who we are. And this is who we are because of who God is and what he has done. And because of what he has done, he's made it possible for us and he has invited us into the family business. He's a reconciling God. He's looking to reconcile and restore the world to himself. And he says to us, hey, will you join me? Now, just like with Della, I can do those things faster and better without her. Carrying these tables after the end of the service. I don't actually need her help. I don't. But I love it. God can do all the restoring work without us. He could. But Scripture makes it clear that he much, much, much prefers to do it with us. He wants us to partner with him in it. In fact, Paul just makes that even, like, just so clear. And the very next thing he writes after verse 21, very first verse of chapter 6, he says it this way. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. As, is that not crazy? What a wild statement. As God's co-workers, who are you? Well, I'm God's child. I'm his beloved child. But I am also his partner. I am also, you are also his co-worker. He's wanting to make his appeal through you. You're his ambassador. He's given you his authority to represent him and all that you say and do. Will you show people the love of Christ by how you serve them? And will you tell them about how God has loved them by sharing the gospel with him, them, imploring them to be reconciled to him. Guys, this is who we are. Will you live it out? Let me give you a couple application points, and then we'll wrap up. First is this. Who, who will you share the good news of the gospel with this week? I skipped over it, but in verse 16, it says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Because in light of all this, we can't look at people the same way, as if this life is all that there is. Now, there's a God who loves us and who died for us that we could be reconciled to him. And so we can no longer look at people from a worldly point of view and just say, like, this is all there is. No, I've got to see everyone through an eternal lens. And so I'm moved to say, like, all, everyone I know is either reconciled to God or needs to be reconciled to God. And so I'm going to be someone who is joining God and calling people to be reconciled to him. I have to. And again, I understand. This is why I've been put on my street. I've been 
in that class. I've been put where I work. So will you tell somebody? Actually, here are my, here are my two applications. First one is this. Will you tell yourself? Will you begin first by telling yourself what God has done for you? Would you, would you rehearse this? Would you believe this? Would you call yourself to believe it? Share the good news with yourself so that then in light of how Christ has loved you, you'd be compelled to share it with others. And then will you, will you share it with others? And like just this week, like just think, is there someone that even right now that God's placed on your heart? You say, man, I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to call that friend up. I need to have that conversation with my, with my brother again or with my dad again or with my neighbor again. Call them up and just say, hey, I've got some really good news I want to share with you. And then see what God does. Allow God to make his appeal through you. That's how we love and serve our city. Showing them and sharing with them the love of God. I'm going to end now by taking communion. The table's on the front and in the back. And as we do each week, this is our opportunity to reflect on how God has loved us. To reflect on what we were just talking about. The way that God has reconciled us to him. That Jesus came and became, he, he took on our sins so that we could inherit his righteousness. He did that through going to the cross and having his body broken and his blood spilled on our behalf. So when we take the bread, that's what we're remembering. When we take the cup, that's what we're remembering. And guys, as you take that, here's my, my you know, encouragement to you. Rehearse what you're taking. Say it to yourself. Jesus died for me. I did not deserve Jesus dying for me, but he died for me that I could be reconciled to God and allow his love to begin to compel you to love him and to love others with him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, and we ask that you would compel us by your love even now. And we confess that well, we can, we can forget this, and, and, and God, we can sadly um, know it to be true in our head, but not actually believe it to where we really recognize and live in light of how great, you, how, how incredibly well you've loved us. So God, we ask that now as we take communion that you would bring this home to our heart to another degree. Lord, as we respond in song and praise to you, Lord, I pray that you would move us to worship you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, I pray that as we respond to how you've loved us, that we would then be compelled to love and serve our city with you. That every man, woman, child in our city could hear the gospel from someone who loves them. God, that's our dream. We want to partner you in that, with you in that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.